Welcome to the Bridge Podcast. Hey, glad you're here. Sorry that the technical stuff is crazy tonight. That's what happens when you worship in a hundred-year-old room. Um, we are on a several-week series called The Talk, uh, talking about love, sex, and dating. Um, two weeks ago is when we started it. I th- most A good chunk of people weren't here, and I think it's just weather and just the semester and just craziness, all that kind of stuff. And then last week, of course, no one was here because we were frozen and, and all that kind of stuff. And so um, we're going to catch up a little bit. In fact, if you were here two weeks ago, you're going to be tempted to think that I'm doing the exact same message again, because at the very beginning, it's going to sound a whole lot like it, but just bear with me. I'm getting new things. Okay. So it talks about love, sex, dating. Why do I spend any amount of time talking about love, sex, and dating? Why do I do this? Why, why use any Tuesday night ever on this topic? Let me tell you why the reasons aren't. Let me tell you the things that I'm not doing here, okay? So number one, I have um, absolutely um, no desire to make you feel bad if you've made mistakes in the past. None. So like if you say, man, I've made some choices and you're just going to use a couple weeks of a series to beat me up over choices, you got that completely wrong. That is not my motivation. In fact, let's just all agree in this room, whether in thought or in action, every single person in this room, including myself, every single one of us has fallen short in this area. Love, sex, dating. Every single one of us. So there's no reason for anyone, and hear me on this, you need to be clear about this because this is just who I am. There's no reason for anyone in this room to condemn another person because we're all equally guilty. Fair enough? Okay, so it's condemnation free. So that's not my desire. Number two, my desire is not to control your love life or your dating life or your sex life. I think sometimes in church, People go, oh, the pastor or the, the preacher or the minister or whoever it is, like they just want to control us and control what we do. Listen, I don't care. Ultimately, like I'm not sitting up at night wondering like who's doing what. I don't get a bonus for graduating virgins. How would we even check that? I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't work, right? So it, it's not a motivation of me trying to control you. I'd be happy to give you advice on love and, and dating. Probably not advice on sex, but you understand what I'm saying? Like, I'd be happy to give you advice. I'd be happy to talk to you about it, but I'm not trying to control that area of your life. My goal is simply to give you truth. And then you need to hear me say this. Listen, you take the truth and you do with it what you want when you're out there. That's, that's all I care. I know that hopefully you leave the room, you know the truth. What you do with the truth is up to you. So if you want to disregard everything we say over the course of this series, right? And just say, I'm not going to do any of that. That's fine. More power to you. Go do it. I just want you to know what God would say. That's it. Okay. So if I don't want to control you and I don't want to like weigh in and, and, and make you feel bad and all that kind of stuff, what do I want to do? Like, what's the purpose and the motivation behind it? Here's the motivation. Ready? I simply want to save you pain. That's it. I simply want to save you pain. I said this two weeks ago, outside of what you do with Jesus, 
That's the most important decision of your life. Who is Jesus and what do you do with him? That's the most important decision of your life. Outside of that decision, the second most important decision of your life, this is what I really believe, is who you date, who you marry, and who you sleep with. It's the second most important decision of your life outside of what you do with Jesus. Why? Because it has repercussions throughout the entirety of your life. And it can cause, by the way, how many of you, and don't raise your hand because that would feel weird, right? But how many of you are children of divorce, right? You know, picking the wrong choice in that moment causes pain for years upon years upon years upon years, right? It's a big choice. We want to get it right. We want to get it right. In fact, this is the idea that I presented two weeks ago that some people just need to hear because regardless of if we're talking about sex or anything else, this is what you need to hear. This is just common sense wisdom, and yet we don't believe it's true. It'll be on the screen, and that's this little thought right here. I think it'll be on the screen. I don't know if any. There it is. Your present will become your past that you will one day carry into your future. Your present is going to become your past. That past is going to carry with you into your future. Here's the deal. You have a present right now. You're choosing who you date. If you're sexually active, what you're doing, like all that kind of stuff, you're making those choices right now. It's your present. However, your present always becomes your past. Your present used to be that you were a junior in high school. That's now your past. Your present always becomes your past if you keep living right? So what you're choosing right now eventually becomes your past, and we think our past stays in the past. That's like freshman level, I don't know anything about life, immature thinking. The past is the past. Who cares about the past? Except the past always sticks with us and we carry it into the future, particularly, particularly in the area of love, sex, and dating. The past stays with us. So I'm trying to save you pain. I'm trying to keep your past from being Difficult to deal with so you don't have a future that you're having to work through all those issues. That's all I'm trying to do. Now, to do that, two weeks ago, I covered six myths about sex. We're going to stay on the topic of sex for this week, and then we're done with sex, and we're moving on to dating next week. So if you're in the dating game, you should come next week. Or if you just want to be in the dating game, like that's, that's the two types of people. Like, I'm in the dating game, or I mean, I just really want to be in the dating game. Like, okay, wherever you are in the dating uh, world, you should come and check it out because it's going to be good about trying to look for the right person and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so that's next week. We're going to talk about sex again. But last week or two weeks ago, I talked about six myths related to sex. I want to spend the entirety of tonight focused on one of those myths because though I covered it two weeks ago, I didn't... Is it up there? No? Man, we're, we're dying tonight. Hey, Alex, shout at him for me. The myth is this. It's just a physical act. It's just a physical act. Here's what the world tells you. The world tells you this. Sex is just a physical act, as if to say it is no big deal. Here's what the world will tell you. And come on, everybody, we know this is true. Like, you know this is true, so do I. The world will tell you this. If both people are consenting, which obviously, yes, is important, but if both people are consenting... If nobody gets hurt, if nobody gets pregnant, and nobody gets a disease, go for it. As much as you want. Just a physical act. Many partners as you want. Just a physical act. That is the lie the world has been selling about sex from the very beginning of time. In fact, we're going to talk about that here in a second. But for the very beginning of time, we've been told sex is just a physical act. It's not that big of a deal. But here's the deal. Our own experience tells us that sex is more than a physical act. First of all, we're going to get to God tells us it's more than a physical act, but our own experience tells us it's more than a physical act. I'm going to ask a series of questions that are going to be, I'm just going to warn you right now, the questions I'm about to ask might be painful for some of you. 
I need you to hear me say that. I need you to hear me say that I'm not making light in asking these questions. I'm not making light of any of these situations. I am merely using this as a proof that we all know that sex is more than a physical act. Okay, when you hear these questions, you'll know, not making light of them, but you'll know, oh wait, he's right. Sex is more than a physical act. Here's the questions. These are uncomfortable. I'll admit it, and they're hard. Maybe for some of us, particularly in this room, they're hard. But it kind of proves the point. Why is it, number one, why is it that when a child is sexually abused, and then that child grows up to be an adult, why is it that when a child is sexually abused, they cannot simply shake off the sexual abuse, and it sticks with them for years and years and years and shapes their life? If it's just a physical act, wouldn't they be able to just shake it off? It's just something that happened in my past. And you might come at me with, well, Tim, that's because an authority figure betrayed them. Oh, come on. Authority figures betray people all the time. Children all the time. I'm an authority figure. I've let my kids down. Every one of you was a kid who was let down by an authority figure. This is more than that. We know it's more than that. Why is it when someone's sexually abused, they can't shake it off if it's just a physical act? It seems to go deeper than just being a physical act. Why is it, number two... That rape, when a woman is raped, it seems to be more traumatic than when a woman is beat up by a guy. I'm not saying either is easy. Both are traumatic. Hear me. Being physically abused is traumatic. Being sexually assaulted and raped is traumatic. However, it seems to be that women who have walked through one or the other, the ones that have walked through physical abuse can push that aside relatively faster than the rape. Why is it? Rape is, if it's just a physical act, shouldn't it be able to be, you know, gotten over like being beat up was? Being beat up is a physical act. People can seem to get past that faster. Why is it that rape sticks with longer? Is it just a physical act or does it go to something deeper? Is it something bigger? Listen, why is it that almost all the time when I hear somebody say this, and I hear this somebody say this a lot of times, why is it almost all the time when I hear somebody say, I have to tell you something that I've never, ever, 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 ever told anyone. Why is it that the next thing that usually comes out of their mouth is something about their sexual past? In other words, why are people's biggest regrets usually sexual? Why is that their biggest secret? Why are they most ashamed of it? If it's just a physical act. You see? Why is it, and some of you don't even know this, some people in the room know this, but some of you don't know this, why is it that most addicts, people who are chemically, like, you know, chemically or, you know, drug or alcohol dependent, why is it most addicts cannot get past their addiction until they've done a step five in which they share their entire sexual inventory with somebody? Why is sexual inventory listing everything you've ever done sexually a part of the recovery process? Why is that connected to recovery at all? They're addicted to heroin, not sex. But yet, we see that this addiction is fueled by a lot of guilt and shame about a thing. So it's not just a physical act that goes deeper. Why is it that most people have the most deep sexual issues in the world? Usually, men and women, usually the deepest people, the people with the deepest sexual uh, issues in the world have something to do, some problem with their dad. Abandonment, dad left, dad was abusive, dad was abandoning. They always have a dad issue. Why is a dad issue always in the picture of somebody with sexual issues? Why? 
If sex is just a physical act, like how do these things connect? What I'm saying to you is this, is our own experience tells us sex is more than physical. Like it goes to something deeper. It goes to something inside of us, like the personhood. It's something deep down. In fact, God would say, yeah, exactly. That's how I designed it. You know, God drew up the whole sex thing. He created it. It was his design. First, he gave it to animals. But the only reason he gave it to animals is two dogs get together and a new dog comes. Right? That's the only reason that animals have sex is just create more animals. But then he created man and woman, and it says that he created us in his image. What does it mean? Does it mean that you and I look like God when it says that he created us in his image? No, we don't look like God, God's spirit. We're human. What does it mean that we're created in his image? What it means is this, is that we have a spiritual nature. We are body, soul, and spirit. We have something more to us. And then he took what was already given, what was already around in the world, sex for animals, and he gives it to humanity. But what he does is when he does this, he says, hey, this is connected. You're image bearers. This is connected to this intimate, this small, this fragile part of who you are that goes to this place called intimacy. Intimacy. It should be on the screen here. What is intimacy? Dustin, help me. Intimacy is to know and be fully known. That's what intimacy is. God says, I've connected these. Sex and your ability to have intimacy, to know somebody and be fully known without, hear me on this, without fear. Did you know that's what God wants from you? Say, what does God want from me? What God wants from you more than anything else is intimacy. He wants you to fully know him and to be fully known by him. He wants an intimate relationship with you. He gave gave you the capacity for intimacy, but your capacity for intimacy is tied to your sexuality, I'm telling you. And so if you go off and you make choice after choice after choice with person after person after person, or if you go off and view Video clip after video clip after video clip after video clip. You are damaging your capacity to have intimacy. And that is a damage that can be done that can take years to undo. It's the most fragile thing you have. Your capacity to know somebody and be fully known without any fear. Now, if all of that is true, then surely God told us this in his word. Right? If what I just said is true, then surely God said this to us in his word. And he did. And we're going to look at that. First of all, back a long, long, long time ago, Moses came down from the mountain and gave the Israelites the law. It was the first time anyone put together a sexual code of ethics. He gives the law. Sexual intimacy is for one man, one woman, marriage bed. The marriage bed must be protected. He says it in the Old Testament. Then Jesus, the son of God, comes along and says, yeah, that was right. And then Paul comes along a little while later and says, yeah. And also, by the way, let me add some more to that. Now, hear me on this real quick. And then we're going to dive into the scripture. Some of you go, when you hear any, any minister and you have the, like the walls up, right? You're like, I don't want to hear any of this. When you hear any minister talk about this stuff, you go, you know what? I don't really hear, hear about this because this is just old school, old school, like religion, rule following, mumbo jumbo, fuddy duddy, you know, make you feel bad about your life type stuff. You think this is like old school rule following religion. I understand why you think that. 
Because we've been taught that that's what the church gives you. That's the only solution we can give you is old school religion rule following. Here's what I want you to know. The passage we're about to read was not read by people that way. When they read this, what would become 1 Corinthians, when they read this, they went, oh my gosh, this is a totally new concept. Do you know why they thought that? Because every other religion in the world, literally every other religion in the world believed that sexual promiscuity was totally okay. Not just okay, sexual promiscuity was good. That your marriage and hey, you got a wife at home, no problem. Go to the temple, have sex with a temple prostitute, Come home, have sex with your wife if you want. Have multiple partners. Sex is pleasing to God. It's the thing that we should do. Let's all go out and have sex all the time with as many people as we can. That was every other major world religion. And then Christianity came along and said, nope. In fact, do you want to know why? One of the reasons why I think the Bible's true? Because no man could come up with it. Gentlemen in the room, gentlemen, men. People that are men in here, right? Okay, there's, there you're here. I want to put you in a, in a situation. I want you to help me think through it. You're a man, right? Say you're a man named Moses thousands of years ago. And you're a con artist. Levi is Moses for us because he's probably the most con artist type person in the room. All right, so Levi is the con artist Moses. But he is a con artist. He's Moses, but he is a con artist. And we're the Israelites and he's got us all fooled. We think he's an actual prophet. But he knows it's just junk, He knows he's just going to make some stuff up. He goes up on top of the mountain to get the law of God. He's going to come down. Now, he knows this is all junk. Like, I'm going up on the mountain. Y'all stay below. I'm just going to make up a new world religion. I'm going to go down, be your prophet. You know, it's just a man-made thing. Now, when it comes time, the meeting, the day that he goes up there to receive, what is God going to say about sex? Gentlemen, I'll take Levi out because this will be too insulting to just Levi. Gentlemen, if you're Moses on top of the mountain and it's your day to like figure out, okay, what What's the rules about sex? What do you come down the mountain with? What do you say God said? I know what you would say. You would come down the mountain and you would go, all right, here's the deal. Y'all got to follow some sexual rules. I don't have to follow any sexual rules because I'm Moses. Because man-made religion, when men make religion, men get to have as much sex as they want and women get used. You don't believe me? Look at every religion that's been started since Christianity, which I would call man-made religion. Look at their founding and then look at their practice over the years. Tell me that isn't true. Usually the leader of that religion is very sexually promiscuous and then usually the earliest followers and then maybe they have a reformation that cleans it up. But man-made religion always says men get to have as much sex as we want. Women, you're just property. Deal with it. That's not what Moses does. How do I know the Bible's true? Because he went up on top of the mountain and he came down and he said, guys, I just had a supernatural encounter. I know that every other religion of the world tells us to have as much sex as we want, but I'm telling you, I just met a being on top of that mountain who told me that he designed sex and that we should protect the marriage bed and that sex is only for marriage and we need to make some rules and order around that because he wants us to. Listen, no man would have ever come up with that. No man would have ever come up with that. That's one of the ways I know the Bible's true. So Moses comes down, gives the law, Jesus backs it up. And then here's Paul, thousands of years after that, who writes to this church in a town called Corinth. And here's what he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Ready? We're going to fly through this part. Ready? 1 Corinthians 6. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee. Run. 
Don't get as close to it as you can. Don't come up as, you know, as close like, well, Tim, what's the line? You know, how, how, what, 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 how far is too far? Okay. First of all, why are you talking like that? Second of all, that's not exactly what the Bible would say, right? We don't, we don't try to figure that out. What we do is go, ooh, if it even starts to feel that way, I'm getting out of here. Flee. Run. From sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? The Bible was so abundantly clear. It was any sexual activity outside of a marriage relationship. Period. Flee from sexual morality. Why? Why is it so important? Why should I run? Flee from sexual morality. All other sins a person commits. That's an important phrase. Because what he's about to say in the dot, dot, dot is he's about to say sexual sin is unique. It is not worse. Hear me. Again, I'm not condemning you. You need to hear me say this. You made mistakes. So have I. I'm not condemning you. I'm telling you what this is simply saying. Here's what he's saying. Sexual sin is unique. It is not worse, but it is unique. All other sins, meaning lying, cheating, gossiping, stealing, all other sins, any other sin you can think of is in one category, but sexual sin is over here in its own category. It is unique. All other sins people commit are, ready? Look at this. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Here's what Paul says. Sexual sin is unique. Here's why it's unique. It's damaging to you, the person who committed it. All other sins are outside, but sexual sins are inside. They hurt you. In other words, Paul just said in one minute what I took 15 minutes to say, which is this. Sex is not just a physical act. It is tied to the most fragile and beautiful thing that you have, your capacity to be intimate with another human being. But if you keep joining and separating, joining and separating, joining and separating, or if you keep clicking and viewing and clicking and viewing and clicking and viewing, and clicking and viewing. You are damaging your ability to have intimacy. It's the most fragile, most beautiful, most valuable part of who you are. You're damaging it. Does that mean it's unrecoverable? No, but I'm telling you, you don't want to do it. You want to save yourself from pain. Flee from sexual immorality. All their sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Here's, here's what I want you to do. Look at this verse. Everyone look at the screen real quick. Right there. I want you to see this. That is not judgment. No part of that verse, unless you just want to be angry and just want to be defensive, no part of that verse is judgmental. You know what that verse is? It's a warning, it's not judgment. You terrible, rotten. That would be judgment. This is, hey, y'all, in case you didn't know. In case you didn't know. In other words, you have to get past, please, if I can do anything in however much time I have with you, let me please do this with you. You have to get past the, the thought that God is some old white man sitting in heaven who is holding something good back from you. That is not what's happening. He is holding back. If he's holding back anything from you, he's trying to hold back pain. Sex is good. He created it. He wants you to have it. He just tells you, listen, it's unique. If you misuse it, it's unique. We've seen a picture of this this week. 
Water running through, water, right? Water running through my house is a good thing when it's in the pipes. When it busts out the pipes at the hill, it's a bad thing and we're in a hundred year old room. Jacked up lights, right? Water in its proper place, good thing. Water in the improper place, bad thing. Fire in a fireplace, really nice on a cold day. Fire outside the fireplace in your living room, not so great. These are good things in their proper place. They're beneficial things. Outside of their proper, proper place, they're damaging things. God says, look, I created sex to be good. I want you to have it. It should be good. I made it good. I thought it up. But it is in a proper place where it needs to be enjoyed because outside of it, it can damage you. Listen, this is what he says in verse 16. Back up two verses. He says, do you not know? Which is, by the way, it's code word for Paul saying, I don't think you know this. <laughs> I think somebody lied to you. So let me tell you the truth. Do you not know that he who unites himself with the prostitute is one with her in body? Now, just in case you're like, man, Paul's a jerk. Like, guys, you got to bash on prostitutes. Like, prostitutes are just hanging out, doing their thing. You know, you don't got to bring them into this. He's not bashing on prostitutes. Here's what he's talking about. He's talking to a specific church in a specific town. And this town was full of temples with temple prostitutes. And members of this church were leaving the church and going to the temple and sleeping with prostitutes. He's referencing something that actually happened. But listen to what he says. Don't you know? In other words, they're like, no, don't know this. That he who unites himself with a prostitute. I guarantee you, every single one of his first readers are like, ain't nobody uniting. What are you talking about? I'm just having sex. I'm not uniting. I didn't go to the prostitute and say, hey, would you like to unite? You know, that's not what, <laughs> some of you are like, I'm going to use that line, right? <laughs> hey, use, use biblical pickup lines, you know? Why not? So you're going, I, there was no uniting. This word, this Greek word, unite, means literally like this deep bond connection, this like can't pull it apart glue, super glue connection. He goes, don't you know that he who unites himself with a prostitute, like, man, there wasn't no uniting going on. I was just having sex. It's just a physical act. Paul is saying that's because you don't know sex. You think you know sex because you know you, where to put this part of that body to this part of that body. You think you know sex, but you don't know sex because you don't actually know what's happening. God does. He designed it. Here's what's happening. Yes, it was a physical act, but it was much deeper. You were uniting. And look what he says. No, look, don't you know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in the body? It's one with her in the body? Listen, I think some of us, I think some of us go, man, Tim, I, I didn't unite. <laughs> That's not what I was doing. I had this boyfriend, or I had this girlfriend, or then I had these series of relationships, or then I was on spring break, and in fact, not only was I not uniting, I didn't know that person's name. I still don't know that person's name. There wasn't any uniting going on. I didn't become one. That's Paul saying to you, it's because you don't know what sex is. Don't you know? And you're going, no, I had no idea. So the two became one flesh. In fact, he brings this up. He brings up Genesis. He says, for it is said, the two will become one flesh. This is the quote, quotation from Genesis. This is the first time sex is talked about in the Bible. He quotes Genesis. He says, the two will become one flesh. In other words, 
That's the intimacy factor right there. Two people are forged. Boom. One. And the one is not supposed to be unwanted. And every time the two become one and then are unwanted, every time that action happens and is repeated, what ends up happening is the people involved are damaging their capacity for intimacy because they keep uniting and disconnecting and uniting and disconnecting. And you go, I don't feel that to be true. Listen, I really don't care. And I say that as lovingly as I can. I don't care what you feel to be true. God is telling you what is true. This has real world implications. If we damage our capacity to have intimacy, let me tell you, it has real world implications. There are marriages, I know a lot of them, that have zero sexual intimacy. They might have some sexual activity, but they have no sexual intimacy. And both partners feel alone. Do you know how terrible it is to be married to somebody to share everything you have with them and yet feel totally alone? Do you know how terrible that is? Could you imagine that? Let me, let me break this to you. You can't imagine it until you've lived it. They feel terribly alone. They're totally isolated from one another. And usually when you get into the, what's the problem? What's the issue? Usually it's because ghosts from the past are hanging on from either one or both. And there's not a, a genuine connection because you're always worried, am I compared to somebody else or is this person who's never really remained faithful their whole life now all of a sudden about to actually turn that off and be faithful to me? And so there's always a guardedness. I'm connected to you. I might share your last name. I might share the bank account, but I'm a little bit guarded and I'm ready to run. And listen, some of y'all are products of those marriages. You were born into that family. And that stinks. And you know the pain that, as a child of what that, that feels like as a kid. You know the pain of what that feels like. Listen, do you really want to run the same game plan that your parents ran? Do you? We damage that thing. The other way we can do that, by the way, just so you know, is sexual intimacy can be damaged in marriage because not usually both, usually just one, usually it's the man, but it's not always the man has so fried their brain with sexual images that their wife goes, I either can't compare to what has been seen because that's not realistic, or I'm not going to degrade myself to the extent that the woman on the screen is because I'm not being paid for that. And by the way, I also have an ounce of self-respect for myself. So I won't do what was done on the screen. I'm not going to act the way the person acted on the screen. And so I can't compare in either my body. My body doesn't look that way or I'm not going to do that thing. So I don't measure up to what my husband wants. And the husband is thinking, why don't you measure up to what I want? And so what the husband does is usually says, I'm going to go to the back room and I have my phone. And that's all I really need. It's easier anyways. That's the real world damage. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I was in my early 20s at one point in time. 
I know I thought if I was sitting in your seats, I know I would have listened to me and thought, man, you're being awfully heavy handed and it's really not that big of a deal. And I'm telling you from real world experience, I'm telling, 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 telling you, Paul says that's because you don't know what it is. If only you knew. He says, don't you know? Don't you know? Now look, the next part of what he says is this. As he says, for you Christians, anybody that's a Christian in the room, you're like, I'm for sure a believer. If you're not a believer, we're just glad you're here. And you're probably going, man, what a crazy night to come. I admit, yeah, it's a little crazy night to come. Glad you're here, though. Come back next week. Talk about dating. It won't be near as heavy, right? All right, so if you're a believer in the room, this next verse is true for you. If you're not a believer in the room, that's cool. We're glad you're here. But this verse is not true for you yet. Here's what he says to you believers. Ready? Verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know? Your body's a temple. You're like, no, I thought my body was a body. No, your body's a temple. So there you go. You didn't know something. Now you know, right? Don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have received from God? He says, in other words, when you get saved, God puts his spirit inside your heart and life. Now God's spirit resides in your life. Your body is no longer just a body. Your body is a temple. And then he says these words. Look at verse 19, the very end. You are not your own. By the way, this is a side issue, but I do think it's worth saying. You can get mad at me if you want. That's okay. We can talk about it. Love to have a conversation about it. There's another mantra that's being force-fed down the throats of everyone in America, and specifically the throats of women, and that is to say, my body, my choice. Listen, for a believer, that is factually false. According to this verse, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And at the end of it, he says, you are not your own. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You go, Tim, how do we apply all this? Oh man, you want a simple application? Tim, how do I manage my sexual choices in my life? What an astute question, young student of the bridge. Ready? Honor God. Can I do this? I don't know. Can you do that and still honor God? (laughs) It's a pretty simple question, isn't it? Kind of messes you up, doesn't it? I've had students who are always the loophole students, like, what can I do? What can I do? You know? So, Tim, can I do this and not that? You know, can I go this far, not that far? And I go, I don't know. Do what? Listen, do you think you can do that action and still honor God? I had one student, one guy came up to me and he goes, okay, Tim, I get it. I get it, man. I can't, I can't look at videos anymore. Well, what if I read stuff, you know? <laughs> like, really? Okay. <laughs> you want to read some smut? Okay, cool. I'm like, all right, so let's, let's think that through. You read that stuff, whatever else happens in the midst of all of that. Do you feel like when, when that's all finished, when that, you know, however long, do you feel like you've honored God? I've had people say, can I do this or that with this relationship? I don't know. Do you think you can honor God and do that? I don't know. By the way, can I just tell you, that question almost always betrays you. When that question comes to mind, what I'm about to do, is that going to honor God? The fact that that question comes to mind means the answer is usually no. Because usually what honors God is so easy and clear. This is not a hard choice. If the question comes to mind, you probably already know the answer. Honor God. Honor God with your bodies. Why? Because you're a believer and Jesus Christ died for you and now his spirit resides in you. Honor him. 
honor him. Listen, some of you in this room, I'm closing, okay? Hear me. Some of you in this room are tempted right now to either be angry or upset or, man, Tim's so blunt. He's just so blunt. You know, he's just so direct and blunt, blah, 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 whatever. You're tempted right now to think, man, I just, he's just trying to make me feel bad. He's just trying to make me feel bad. I want you to hear me for the millionth time. I am not condemning you because I would have no legs to do so. I'm not. I'm telling you right now, this is a warning from God about what the force is that you're actually dealing with. It means God's good and that he loves you when he tells you the truth. Right? If you go, man, I, I just feel bad for what I did in the past and I want to, like, I just feel bad. Let me tell you what's better than feeling bad. Decide right now to make a change. That's better than feeling bad. I'm going to give you two steps. Ready? Number one, here it is. You need to determine right now the story you are wanting to tell with your life. What story are you wanting to tell? One day you will tell your sexual story to somebody. And by the way, don't lie to them. That will only cause more problems later on in your marriage. One day you're going to tell your sexual story to somebody. What story do you want to tell? Start living that story today. I'm telling you, there's good stories and bad stories. There's a story that goes like this. You know, when I was in high school and college, man, I went off the deep end and I was going way too far and there was relationships and then it became kind of anonymous and then there was this person and that person and I don't actually know what happened that one night and there was all this different sexual activity and I'm, you know, I don't know how many partners, I didn't even keep track, blah, blah, blah. But I tell you, that came all the way up to the day that I met you and then I met you and man, you're so great. I'm gonna turn all that off and I'm committed to you for the rest of our life. That's a story. You can choose to tell. Or you can tell this story. You know what? In high school and college, I just didn't know, man. I was misguided. I was lost. I made some poor choices. I regret those choices. But you know what? One night I went to this church service where I heard something as simple as honor God with your body. And on that night, what's today's date? Somebody shout out to February 23rd. On February 23rd, 2021, I decided from that moment on, I was going to honor God with my body. I was going to date with you in mind, you future spouse. Every person I dated between that day and you, I dated with you in mind. And I did everything I could to not only honor you, but honor God. Listen, that's a totally different story. And I'm going to tell you, yes, I'm married. And so we're not going to have that conversation. But if I was on the receiving end of that conversation, one of those conversations fires me up and goes, man, I am so excited to get with you because you take this seriously. And the other one makes me ask a whole lot of questions and there's a whole lot of concerns. There's a good story. There's a bad story. What story do you want to tell? Start living that story right now. It's real simple. Number two, you have to decide ahead of time what honoring God with your body looks like. You cannot wait till the moment it happens. You can't. No one can. So you have to decide what does honoring God look like? Does it mean that I'm not going to go there anymore? I'm not going to hang out with that person. I'm not going to go to that location. I'm not going to date people like this person anymore. I'm not going to cross this line physically. I'm not going to cross this boundary. I'm not going to stay over. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do whatever it is. This is the line. I've made the decision. So that way, when the decision comes up, you can say, I've already decided this. It's easy. You say, no, I've already made that decision. What does honoring God look like? walk it out. If you need help with that, I'd be glad to give you some advice. But what does, God look, what does that look like? You're smart. You can figure this out. Here's the last thing I want to say. In case you think that, man, I, I'm sitting on a seat of judgment and just being rude and mean and all that kind of stuff. Let me just say this to you. I just turned 36. Uh, about a week ago. I turned 36. 
Now, I feel like that's super old. In fact, I almost feel like I can't really do this anymore because I'm too old to do this. But, you know, for whatever reason, and Michelle's shaking her head yes, and she's a jerk. Okay, um, I'm being vulnerable and she's being mean. So here's the deal. Like, I, I do struggle with that, but, I, you know, God has me here and we're just going to see what happens. So here's the deal. I'm old. And some of you go, well, that's not that old. But let me put it in perspective. If I'd had a child at the age of 18, by this fall, they would be a freshman in college. So I'm approaching in the next couple of years, the ages where I can say I'm old enough to be all of their dads. Yeah, that's old. But that does have one advantage. There's some disadvantages to being older in this position, but there's a few advantages. And one of the advantages is this, is that I can talk to you either not quite old enough to be your dad, but at least maybe a really older brother. I'm far enough away from your life to where I can just tell you a little bit of truth. And here's what I would tell you. I'm really sorry that you grew up in the world you grew up in, and it was a different world than the world I grew up in. Can I tell you something crazy? I didn't go to college with a cell phone. I didn't go to college with a computer. I didn't have a computer in high school. The only computer I had was in a computer lab. No one had cell phones. No one had computers. I was in the last little bit of that age that was totally disconnected, and by about my junior year, all of us got them. But even then, they were those old junky phones that you couldn't do anything with or play like snake games, you know, around the screen. So I didn't grow up in over-sexualized, porn ran down my throat 24-7. I didn't grow up in that. You're growing up in a different world. I know this is not a current song, but I'm just telling you, WAP would not have made, would not have made the airwaves in the generation I grew up in. It wouldn't have. It wouldn't have been allowed. I'm telling you. It's ridiculous. All I'm saying is that you've been lied to. Listen, you've been lied to. And I'm really scared for you. My heart breaks for you, but I'm also really scared for you because a generation has been lied to and so filled with sexual images and lies that they're now making choices based on lies. And I'm telling you, we won't see the effects for it for probably 10 or 20 years, but in 10 or 20 years, I'm going to get a whole bunch of phone calls of people going, my marriage and my life is falling apart because we always reap what we sow. And our culture is going to reap the mess that we're sowing. It's going to. But you have a choice right now on February 23rd to decide, I'm going to honor God with my body. Who cares about the past? Today, moving forward, I'm honoring God with my body. In fact, that's why tonight I've requested this last song we're about to sing. The band's going to come up and we're going to sing about God's love. God does, hear me, God does not condemn you. That verse is simply warning. He's saying, calling out to you, enough's enough. Let's turn over right now a new leaf. This is God's love for you. So we're going to sing a song about God's love and celebrate God's love. And there's a line in this song that specifically says these words. That I can no longer, I don't have time, that's what it is, I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way that he loves us. I don't have time. I don't have time any longer to maintain these regrets when I think about the way that he loves. Listen, God loves you. And it's out of love for you that he gave you a warning. And it's out of love for you that you came here tonight. He got you here. And it's out of love that he gave you this message, not out of condemnation. So regrets you have, let's let them go. I don't have time to maintain the regrets when I think about the way that he loves us. And out of his love for us and what he did for us, let's decide, let's just honor God right now. 
Forget about the past, let's move forward. Let's write a new story. Let me pray for us. Bye.